Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. Pearson Fowler, Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark. First time you've heard from us this week because Wes and Chris were so distraught as the fans and homers that they are after the 41 to 21 loss to Tennessee up in Knoxville. They could not bring themselves to do their no huddle version of another Carolina podcast. Wes, can you confirm that that's what happened? A hundred percent. You don't even sound sick, so you're going to have a tough time convincing people that you were sick this weekend. You need to sound more pitiful. Can you do that for us? Well, I'm. I'm hopefully better at this point. Okay, so. all right. So just if you, very if you heard me on Monday or saw me on Monday when I looked like a ghost, um, <laughs> you would have believed me. Um, if you were my girlfriend try- having to take care of me, then um, mm. you would have believed me there as well. Shout um, out I feel to bad uh, for her. shout out to your girlfriend for taking care of you. God, Are you really you, pitiful you, when you're sick? Were you a huge baby? I was gonna yeah. say because my wife makes fun of me. Like yeah. I'm pretty pitiful when I'm sick. I, I just I get I sick rarely, so I just sick it people. Sucks. I didn't really feel like I was, but apparently I was. Oh, so I sure. bet it's you kind were. of a blur, honestly. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't. Uh, the last two days have just been like forty-eight hours of just crap. Mm-hmm. So, well, we're glad you're back. We're glad you're able to do this with us, even though you missed your Monday. And uh, I guess now we should talk about why you got sick. And it's, it has nothing to do with the seasons or allergies. It's because South Carolina had probably the worst performance. Maybe not the worst performance, but it's certainly the worst loss of Will Muschamp's tenure here at South Carolina. Before this Tennessee game, I was firmly in the camp that it was last year's Florida game just because of how devastating that late capitulation was. But I don't, as a four and a half point favorite, you have to go back. If you exclude the Virginia game, which you should because bowl games don't mean anything or count, you have to go back to 2014, that season opener against Texas A&M, to find a game that South Carolina was the favorite and lost by as many as they lost by on Saturday. Of course, in that game, they lost by 24, so I guess it wasn't as bad as that Texas A&M loss. But it was the worst since Will Muschamp's been here, in my opinion. Would either of you push back on that? I maybe would a little bit, just in... I mean, I, I still sort of feel like the, the North Carolina loss at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, neither one of them are good losses. Obviously, they're both very, very bad. So, you know, I think you could make a number of different cases... I even, you know, I hear you on the ball game, but I'd make that case as well. That's right up there for me, uh, whether people think ball games matter or not. The fact that um, you just get blown out by a middle-of-the-road ACC team, final game of the year, leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Um, people remember the ball games, fair or not fair. So, you know, all, all those games are up there for me. But, yeah, I, I still go back to North Carolina starting the season on that note. Uh, year one for for that coaching staff versus year four for this coaching staff, a down ACC team. But yeah, certainly I'm I'm not downplaying the loss on Saturday. Obviously a very bad loss, and um, I, I think a bigger loss because we we talked all after the Georgia game about hey this this win could you know this win will will always be one of the bigger wins in Carolina history, but it really is only going to matter as far as like this season and this program right now as it stands if they can build on it and. You know, if you're Will Muschamp, we all saw the atmosphere in game cognition going into that Kentucky game earlier this year. Um, you sort of bought some time with the win over Georgia. Everybody was happy for a week. Um, last week, everybody was just ticked off at the refs, so there really wasn't much ire towards uh, the coaching staff or, you know, the, the team itself. But uh, now, you know, lose this game and lose it the way that they did you're really right back where you were going into that Kentucky game where there's a lot of people um, ticked off, rightfully so, and uh, people looking for answers. So, uh, obviously, you know, I, I could argue either way, but either way, just a very, very ugly loss. I think North Carolina was still worse. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, so this Tennessee team, I think the reason – now, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, okay? I think the reason that the Tennessee loss is being looked at 
as a worse loss is because of two primary factors. And you go ahead and tell me if I'm wrong so I don't go down the rabbit hole. A, their record overall. Okay. B, the fact that they lost to BYU and Georgia State at the beginning of the year. Uh, really, neither of those things um, were the first. Just, those weren't the first two things to come to mind for me. So what were they? You lost by 20 points. Okay, so so the score is factoring in. The score, the performance, okay. the fact that you And how they gave lost up the game. So many big plays. Right. Big special teams plays. Okay, um, yeah. And, and re- I guess related to the North Carolina game, it has to do with the energy and the performance. And it looked like the team, you know, it was lackluster. They didn't want to be there. They had no fight at the end of the game. It's just a team that looks kind of defeated. So the, the nature of the performance. And okay. look, I mean, this, t- this Tennessee team was as bad offensively as Vanderbilt. They were like in the 90s and like 110s at various offensive statistical categories, and they scored 41 points. 14 of those were special teams, so you say, okay, well, they scored 27 points, but the amount of big plays that they had, I mean, is is completely unforgivable. So I think that the factoring in a little bit more, if you factor in that, like you're putting in a little bit of like, what's the Bill Simmons, the gut punch Mm -hmm. factor or whatever, I can see that. I was just going strictly by... Uh, is it a win or is it a loss, right? I, I wasn't factoring in as much of what happened during the game and how did they lose. If you factor those things in, it's tough, but so is North Carolina because they were up 20-9 to nine, uh, with the ball, having just forced a turnover, mm-hmm. and then they lost. And yeah. you give up two, you know, you, you don't do much, you give up two 90-yard jobs. And, and I know, like, Tennessee, is Tennessee a good football team? No. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're going off nothing but the eye test, like, if you watch them at the beginning of the year, they're pathetic. You know, but that is also not the same team. Like, it is possible for teams to get better throughout the season. Are they a good team? No. Um, is it a game South Carolina should have won? In my opinion, yes. But, um, and I'm not, ex- people are going to say, well, Chris is excusing. No, I'm not excusing the loss. It is a better team. This is more of the team that they should Wait, are be. are they? They're a, better t- they're a better team than they were at the beginning oh, of the okay. year. Oh, I thought you meant than North Carolina. Uh, I would say yes, they are. Really? Yeah, I do think they would win at this point in the season. Mm, okay. Yes. Right. I, I I don't think you're wrong. I just think that's an interesting I, I, way I just to tease think this out. They've got their offensive line. They finally found a combination. I know they lost a couple guys during the game. They have a lot of talent on that offensive line. It was almost more like, why are they playing this poorly, right? The quarterback situation, no. I mean, I, they still don't have a, a very good quarterback. Yeah, but leave it to South Carolina to make both of right. those guys look like freaking Tua. Three of them, you know. Well, I mean, Jennings was just running around, but... They're two receivers, Jennings and Callaway, very good receivers. But one of South Carolina's touchdowns was a two-man route. They had in seven guys, eight guys, I think, blocking. But they had seven guys, and then they had a play fake, right? And then they sent two guys on a route. They had and just over- said, hey, go Moss Israel Mukwamu, and they did over right. and so, over and over. So, I mean, there were a lot of things about it that were tough to swallow. I was just sort of factoring in. I wasn't factoring in how South Carolina – gave the game away or how they got outplayed or the score line. I was just going off just win or loss, right? And so when I look at it, I still think there's a good argument for the North Carolina one being worse, not to diminish how bad the Tennessee loss was. I'm not doing that at all. I just think it an apples-to-apples apples sort of thing, you know. Counterpoint. Okay. What are Carolina's priorities as posted in the locker room, as extolled by Will Muschamp on a regular basis – what are the two main priorities of this team? The ball. Well, and I was thinking win the state and win the east. Oh, okay. Well, you yeah, lose I North Carolina yeah. game is the season opener. Incredibly disappointing way to start the season. The most disappointing start to the season since 2014. It was terrible. But it doesn't affect your conference record. Doesn't affect your in-state rivalry. The Tennessee game affects. Carolina's not going to win the SEC East this year. Spoiler, sorry. Even though they have the tiebreaker with Georgia, which is you know, becomes a little bit funnier with each passing week. But that's a program against which you are measuring yourself. Carolina needs to, if they want to be making progress, the progress that, you know, they they did make by bumping their head up against that ceiling and beating Georgia and by riding the ship against Kentucky. All of a sudden, that's like, that's gone because you've now lost to Missouri in embarrassing fashion and to Tennessee in embarrassing fashion. And again, especially when you factor in the performances and how comprehensive those butt kickings were. For South Carolina. I think those are more damning. And the other part of it is this is now four straight weeks that Carolina fans have felt good about the direction of the program, about the progress of the football team, about the talent that Will Muschamp was bringing into the program and cultivating, starting with 
Kentucky, comprehensive wire-to-wire win, ends a five-game or five-year skid. Open week, best open week ever. (laughs) Upset Georgia. Florida, you're leading after three quarters. Carolina fans are firmly convinced, and maybe rightfully so, that had officiating been a little bit more fair, that at least would not have been an 11-point game. Maybe Carolina doesn't win it, but it's close. Maybe it's like a field goal at the end of the game, something like that. That's four straight weeks of, hey, after awful North Carolina and awful Missouri, this thing has really turned around, and now, yeah, with one game. It's a tough deal, and, you know, I I think a lot of – this is more generalized point, not even towards South Carolina, but there are a lot of uh, teams that are sort of either middle of the road or bottom of the conference that are going through, like, similar situations. Like, you look at Missouri, they lose to Wyoming, panic mode, right? Then they go rattle off some wins. Okay, everything's all right. And then they go lose to Vandy. I mean, uh, that's a tough deal. Tennessee, the beginning of the year. People want to prove it gone. I mean, out of here. This this is a failure. This team should not be this bad, which was true, absolutely, at the time. But they turned around. They beat Mississippi State, who, again, not very good. They beat South Carolina convincingly. South Carolina's been very, very up and down. I mean, the the evidence right now is that they're not a very good team. They're wildly inconsistent would be one way to describe them. Um, then you got, I mean, Vandy's been awful all year. They somehow beat Missouri. Um, A&M, I mean, they're inconsistent. There's just a lot of, like, past beyond the top few teams in the conference, it's just like a, a mismatch of, like, what are you going to get week to week, and you just it's just hard to tell. I, I was just sort of a tangent, but something I thought about. Yeah, and I, I don't, like I said, I don't really feel strongly about this one way or the other. They were, they're all bad losses, so it is what it is. But my counterpoint to your beat the East win the state is that as far as South Carolina is concerned, North Carolina is in-state. You know, Charlotte, that's an in-state territory. They always, when they consider their record for that board as far as, you know, winning the state, they include any team from the Carolinas, basically, within their organization. So um, that would be my counterpoint to that. But, uh, again, I uh, – like I said, they're all, they're all bad losses. And I, I think the thing for, you know, sort of to Chris's point here, the thing that's probably hard to swallow right now for the fan base is that, you know, you're in a situation where I think all these, most of these teams in the East are way more, um, I won't say similar, but there's, there's way less sort of um, length or distinction between these teams. Than any, yeah, than anybody wants to admit right now. And that goes all the way to the bottom teams as well. Um there's probably way less uh, difference between Vanderbilt and South Carolina or even Kentucky and South Carolina than anybody at South Carolina wants to admit. And then, obviously, you know, Tennessee just kicked your butt. Um, Kentucky, who Carolina crushed, and I, I think there was nothing flukish at all about that game. Uh, Carolina owned it start, you know, start to finish, um, turns around and, and beats Missouri 29-7, to a team that uh, really controlled the game against South Carolina from start to finish. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, we we all know that you can't sort of compare um, games to other games in college football. But if you sort of start to look at who's beaten who and how it's happened, um, especially in the East, it, it really doesn't make any sense. You can probably do one of those circles. I don't remember what it's called, but where like every one of those bottom five teams in the East, which is just bad outside of Florida and Georgia. That's just kind of the reality right now. But so Vanderbilt beat Missouri. Missouri beat. Who did Missouri beat? South Carolina. South Carolina beat Kentucky. Kentucky. Did Kentucky play Tennessee yet? Have they played yet? No. So we just have to root for Kentucky to beat Tennessee and Tennessee to beat Vanderbilt. So that way it will complete the circle. <laughs> that's what you want. Yeah. That's, I love that. I, I don't remember now. what that's called. That's called something. Somebody I, know, will, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, somebody will know what that's called and, and I, remember and remind me. I, I don't know if we were going to get to this later, but I, I just thought of it. So you remember last week we had a little bit of a, a discussion slash argument on um, a point that Pearson made about, and to be fair to you, to give you credit, I mean, it, it played out this week. The second half? The second half, though. Oh, yeah. But. Now, I will say, sometimes, you know, when, when we actually went back and looked at it the last time, there wasn't always validity to that, or you could just look at it and say they just lost to a good team in the second half, El- elite teams at times, you know, a Clemson or a Georgia or whoever. You know, yeah, sometimes you're going to lose the second half against those teams even if you're also really good. But it, it has played out, right? Yeah. I mean, well, the Florida game, I mean, circumstances were there too, but they also gave up some plays that they didn't really have. I mean, they didn't have circumstances on. 
the Tennessee game was the most, you know, alarming yeah. of the second half sort of meltdown. The numbers that I had pulled up for last week were actually specifically fourth quarter numbers, which was a little bit more specific. And I don't even think he listened to it. Um, but Jay kind of had a very similar train of thought and came in this week with just the second half stats for the season. And it was even it was like yeah, I don't remember. It was like 129 to 61 or something like that in the second half this season. Unbelievable. And I, I, I don't remember what conclude. Is this what you wanted? To, is this what you were texting me about? By the way, you said you you were like I'm going to pick a fight with you this weekend or something, or this no, week. I don't think I said pick a fight. No, no. But I mean, as much in as much as you say that, Chris, the ultra pacifist. Um, what I'm going to look now. No, I, we we do need to look at that because I don't even remember. Well, you there, were texting there were, me, there and, then, and then you topics. were like, "We're just doing the podcast over text." I was like, "Yeah, we'll save it." Oh, I I, um, I remember what it was. It wasn't this though. It, it was uh, it was not that. Okay, all right, cool. Well, then we'll it was related to quarterback. Play. Okay, cool. We'll remember? continue that, and then we'll. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Okay, all right. Um, but yeah, this was a uh, this was an embarrassing second half. And again, it's looking at performances. If Carolina had lost in North Carolina, Missouri, and Tennessee by a combined eight points, I think the fans would feel a lot better than forty four points. And in two of those games, you're favored. Sure, and I mean, and they were up. I mean, they were up, what, 21-17. You know, the game, to me, turned on third and 14. Uh, South Carolina has a blitz on. It was a similar blitz. They actually had a good couple pressure packages on. Um, there was one earlier in the game that was sort of similar where even Tennessee, they had an extra man in to block, and South Carolina still forced. That was, um, the, that was the one that Shrout had to... He threw it away, and, and Wanham was chasing somebody. Him, yeah, about? yeah. Wanham was chasing from the. He had to turn. Wanham yeah. chased him from the right. other side. Yeah. He had to throw it away. So this was a similar pressure package, and I think it was T.J. Brunson that came through, mm-hmm. and and obliterated Garantano. Knocked That's him out of the game. Left the game. Yeah. But he just lobbed the ball to a spot. I mean, there's really nobody there, and Jennings just runs under it and, and makes a catch and holds on to the football. That was on third and fourteen. Yeah. Uh, South Carolina just stopped the run. I mean. So best case scenario there at that point for Tennessee, if you just get off the field on third and fourteen, is they get a field goal and it's and it's twenty one twenty. Instead, you know they score, and then they continue going up. You know, it just everything that went wrong. I mean, two special team scores, they give up third downs. They don't convert third downs. There's a lot of reasons for those. One of those, I mean, what were they zero for nine on third down or something? So, who Carolina. I mean, they had eight drops. They I think were, I counted. They were four of eighteen on third down overall for the game. I think late in the second half, maybe they were zero yeah, for nine. That, that would, eight drops. Right. A lot of those on third down, mm-hmm. or in situations that could have gotten Josh them into manageable. Nick Muse had a couple. Shy had one. Brian had one. There were a lot. It was um, rough. And the other part about third down, I, I just looked this up yesterday, and I thought it was really interesting because it wasn't because it was like, okay, well, you know, what what was Tennessee doing? It's not even that they were moving the ball that efficiently. Obviously, it was like the big chunk plays, and that yeah. was really easy mm-hmm. to see. But I was surprised. Like I said, only five of fourteen was Tennessee on third down, but those five third down conversions were like it was a third and three, third and eleven, third and eleven. There was a third and one, and then that third and fourteen. And when you give up third and eleven, third and eleven, and third and fourteen, like those are back breaking third downs yes. to give up. And yes. one of them was on a draw, one of them I don't remember. And then you mentioned the third and fourteen. Fourteen, ugh, it was a touchdown. It's yeah. brutal. That was the difference. Plays just making plays, yeah, not some, making plays. Yeah, I was gonna say to your, I, I think to your point. Um, Tennessee, and as much as we look at everything from a South Carolina perspective, and rightfully so, um, I think at some point you also have to give Tennessee credit for, you know, to me, I mean, yeah, you know, South Carolina made a quarterback look like Tua, but also, I mean, Garantano, he he made the throws, yeah. you know, and his guy, his guys went and made plays for him, and you know, Tennessee's offensive coaches had had some good calls on, they had them on at the right time, and their guys went, you know, and and did what they needed to do, and. Tennessee, you know, played with energy. They played fired up. They Their crowd got behind them, and I think they sort of lived off of that. Um, you know, I, I think it's a it's a really ugly performance from a South Carolina perspective. I think the thing that probably hurts most from a Carolina perspective uh, for the fans is it was a combination of the things that we've known South Carolina hasn't been particularly good at, mm-hmm. but then add in things that, uh, you know, special teams has not been an issue at all. And then you add in – I think you add in the block punt and the punt return, and you know that that's what made this game almost impossible to win for yeah. South Carolina. They're, not to say that's why they lost, but if you sort of, you but know, I mean, that was the difference. You take the you take those away. Carolina's up twenty-one to ten at half. 
instead of 21 to 17, all of a sudden that third and 14 touchdown isn't for Tennessee to take the lead. It's for them to cut it to four. It totally changes the complexion of the game. And well, also, this is like this is a dumb argument, but you just take away those 14 points. It's 27 21. Carolina's driving for you know a, a win there at the end of the game or a tie or whatever. Well, I mean, and they're that's assuming they don't go score on the punt return anyway. Right. Even if yeah. you tackle them, you know they got good field position. Mm-hmm. Blah 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 blah. We don't know how it's going to play out, but. But that, that, to me, just in a game when you weren't really playing all that well, otherwise, you know, offensively not very efficient, defensively giving up big plays, you needed that part of your game that generally has been pretty mm-hmm. solid this year to still be pretty solid and keep you in, the, at least not lose the game for you. So um, I, I think that's that, that's the hard part from a South Carolina perspective is that, um, you know, no, if you look at the three phases of the game, no, none of those phases really – outperform Tennessee. Tennessee won all three phases of the game, and I, I think that's what hurts the most. And I, you know, a, a trend I'm noticing that continues to bear out as well on top of the whole, you know, the second half discussion is, and I would really be interested in possibly doing a deep dive on this, but this is just my impression of it right now. The offense, when we're talking early game, scripted plays, um, efficiency as far as you know, yards per play and conversions and stuff like that compared to the rest of the game. I, I mean, you look at the early game situations. I mean, we're going on, uh, what, eight games now? They've scored at least a field goal and usually a touchdown on their first drives most of the season. Yeah, let's see. They did. Uh, they got a field goal to open against North Carolina, right? They scored a touchdown against Charleston Southern. Against Alabama, they kicked a field goal. Missouri did not score. I'm still I, – I'm looking at that score. I can't believe they scored 14 points in that game. Uh, Kentucky, didn't they score a touchdown on their touchdown. opening drive? Yep. Um, Georgia, I don't remember. Florida scored a touchdown on their opening drive. And Tennessee scored on the first play. Scored the on the game. first play, yeah, the shot. So yeah. The, uh, the, so that's at least six of eight. I don't remember the, the game, game plan. I'm pretty sure Georgia, they didn't score on the first drive and then scored on the second. That sounds maybe. right. I'm looking. Um, I think they went three and out or Four and out. Uh, Yes, Georgia kicked a field goal. Carolina punted. Georgia punted. Carolina scored a touchdown. Yeah. Okay. So second. So even if it's not the first drive. Point being, you're still possibly in the scripted section of that game. So uh, the the play the game plan from a here's what we expect. Here's what we need to execute. Here's what we need to work on going into the game. um, Those things have been not just good. They've been fantastic. Yeah. Then the once you get into the flow of the game um, execution and uh, sort of efficiency of the offense has uh, has dipped, you know, tremendously. And I, I think that, that's that been a huge issue uh, for this offense all year long. So that's what concerns you as a fan. Because you say, okay, look, Jennings and Callaway are awesome receivers. They had great games. Probably the best games they'll have in their entire career. And, and, and that leads some Carolina fans to say, well, why the hell do guys always have the best games of their entire careers against South Carolina? Like, every time, it seems. Um, and then the other part of that is, Garantano will never play that well again. Shroud will never play that well against here. So they hit they hit 100% of their deep balls. Like, I don't care if you're Patrick Mahomes. I don't care if you're Tom Brady. I, I don't care who you are. You don't hit all your deep balls. And Tennessee hit all of them. Now, some of them were open because Carolina's secondary was embarrassing. But they put the balls where they needed to be. They gave their receivers a chance to, to make that. And I mentioned this last week on the podcast. People in Tennessee weren't invoking the crucifixion as a means of trying to keep Gerontano from starting for them because they thought he was going to do this. They thought he was going to do normal Jared Garantano things. And JT Shrout, I mean, both of those guys had, like, over 80 QBRs, and they're both just bad. They're, that's, those are Tennessee's second and third preferred options at quarterback. If Brian Maurer's ready to go this week, he's going to be the starter, I would imagine, because they think he is their best option. So that's another kind of, like, inscrutable thing. It's like, why do trash quarterbacks always have great games against South Carolina? It doesn't matter who the opponent is. It doesn't matter who the year is, what the defensive personnel is, who the defensive coordinators are. That's just kind of where bad quarterbacks go to feast. And I think always? That was a, always. 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 Uh, I don't know about that. How, how many careers have been made by South Carolina? Josh Dobbs, he has an NFL career because of his freshman year game against South Carolina. Uh, he did some other things, too. Kenny Thrill. Well, well, what Kenny is he Thrill doing is now? definitely What one. is he doing now? Uh, We talked about this last week, and I already forgot his name. Garrett whatever, his freaking face from – what was that guy's name? That set the NCAA record. Grayson Lambert? Grayson Grayson Lambert, Lambert. yeah, whatever. See, I can't – I literally had this conversation three times last week and still can't remember his name. Uh, Hudson Mason. Like, just take your pick. Jared Garantano. 
Now JT Shroud. JT Shroud may never see the field again for the rest of his life. And he had an awesome game against Carolina. I mean, those are those are fair instances. And those are all in like the last five years. Oh, yeah, they're fair. But I With mean different been, defensive they're, coordinators, different defensive players. Bad, bad I mean, Jake Fromm had the worst game of his career against Carolina. Yeah, the been, Kentucky kid looked like he looked awful. Nah, he looked like he looks every week. <laughs> but but your point being that the guys yeah, play you can't say they always make head. bad quarterbacks. No, but I'm saying good. that's that's what the, that's what the fan base feels like. And and I'm, I've kind of gotten off on a tangent because it's like those quarterbacks will never play that well again. Those receivers had like the very high end of what they can possibly do, even though they're really good receivers. But if you're a Carolina fan, the thing that bothers you the most and the thing that's most concerning is you compare what Jim Chaney did in terms of Tennessee's game plan to what Brian McClendon did as Carolina's offensive game plan, and it was like it was like the NFL versus high school is what it looked like. And I don't know how much of this can get put on McClendon because, as you mentioned, there were a lot of drops. Carolina's receivers haven't been good. But it's not like Tennessee has Alabama's wide receiving core or Florida's wide receiving core. They got it done with two guys. Carolina had two guys that were playing well at wide receiver and Shai Smith and Brian Edwards wasn't enough to get it done. Tavian Feaster continued to run the ball well. You can say protection's an issue. You can say Ryan Helensky's still injured, although Will Muschamp was adamant yesterday in his press conference that is not the case. But it's night and day difference. Tennessee found something that was working. It was exposing Carolina's secondary, which is bad at containing explosive passing plays, or at least was on Saturday. It was pick on those guys with your great receivers. As you mentioned, play max protect. Just run two-man routes. Throw the ball in a position where you can give your guys a chance to make those plays. Brian McClendon couldn't get it figured out. Carolina is not going to score 30 points against an FBS opponent, and Saturday was an example of why that is the case. Well, and and when you say McClendon couldn't get it figured out, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying the play calling was perfect in the game, but I mean, look, in the first half, if you're talking about second half, maybe even we can we can start to make that argument. I mean, South Carolina was still had still done more offensively in the first half, right? Yes, they had. Because one of Tennessee's touchdowns was a punt return, right? Tennessee yep. didn't do much in the first half. No, but they made adjustments, and that's well, what Carolina has failed to but, do but all it, season. It, but it's hard. It's hard to say. We don't know. We don't even know what play call South Carolina made. We don't know why they made the play call. I think it's easy to boil it down. And again, people are going to say, "Well, Chris is is saying the play calling was perfect." No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> we don't know the ins and outs of why every play is called. Don't the biggest reference point we have on play calling is how many points did they score? Mm-hmm. If they scored a lot of points and the play calling was great, if they didn't, it was bad. That's kind of the only thing that matters, though. No, no, I don't think it does. I think if we're talking about final product and production. If you're talking about offensive production. If you're talking about offensive production, that's what matters. Play calling. He can call the most beautiful game in theory on paper. Yes. He 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 can call the kind of game that gives Andy freaking Reed a wet dream. And if Carolina can't score 24 points, it doesn't matter. But it, but if they if he calls a perfect play and it's executed perfectly, they're going to score more than twenty four. I'm just saying, what if they don't? What if they catch six of those eight balls? Let, let, I mean, we'd have to go back and I mean, I should have logged it for the purposes of this discussion. What happens if they catch those? To some degree, we don't know. They would have a few more first downs. They wouldn't have been over on third down. We know that. Um, so I, I just all I'm saying is I think you can differentiate it. Sometimes I don't think it's, you know prudent to just say well they they only did this that means the play calling sucked well maybe it didn't i have defended the play calling and like generally carolina's offensive philosophy especially since lately they've been more committed to the run which is their strength and not trying to do too much in the passing game and this is i mean this is the case in a lot of things we're now at the point of the season where you can go through game by game it's like okay tennessee well there were some drops oh missouri well ryan holinsky was injured oh you know this game well this happened this game this happened you can go through and you can find probably pretty good reasons for why the offense kind of stagnated. But at the end of the day, the offensive coordinator and the and the coaching staff's job is to find answers. Tennessee did that. They scored 24 points in the second half. Carolina's coaching staff did not do that. They scored zero points in the second half. Zero. Not yes. even one. It would have been really hard for them to score one. The only way to do that is to block an extra point and then return it, and then it ends up being a safety for the other team. So it would have been hard to score one. But they couldn't even manage one point. No, look, I, I'm I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not you know taking away any responsibility for the coaching staff at the end of the day, and that's what I said. I mean, y- your production is what you're judged on. People don't worry as much about like at the end of the year, even game by game, people don't go, okay, well, there was this, mm-hmm. and there was this, and there was this, and that's why it happened. I mean, we talk about that because it's sort of our job to yeah. to break it down. But- and I'm very much a process oriented guy. I hate just litigating results. But at the end of the day, I think it is indictment and an indictment on the process when the results are consistently underwhelming. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think 
you know, again, Tennessee, like Wes said, I think you credit them. They they did make either some they either either made some adjustments or they just executed better, whatever it may have been in the second half. I mean, I haven't gone through and logged every play they've called against what defense or whatever. Um, I think just when you look at South Carolina and what they did, you know, it was it was just a lot of different things. I mean, they had they had penalties. They had and, and you could say, well, coaching better so they don't commit penalties. Sure, that's a fair point. They had drops. They had eight drops throughout the game. Um, they had a freshman quarterback who can't move around very well. I know Tennessee's quarterback situation too, but their guys are at least moving, you know, out there a little bit better. So just a lot of different things. I, I think again, people get upset at Muschamp when he says it's a combination of things, but if you're really actually boiling it down, it really is. And at the end of the day, people would say it doesn't matter, just call plays that work. And I can see that point. I just looked. There are exactly 50. I like round numbers. There are exactly 50 teams in major college football right now that are averaging 30 points a game. And Carolina hasn't done it once in a real football game. 50 teams are averaging 30 points a game. And Carolina hasn't done it once. All right, Chris, ask me your quarterback thing. The thing that you texted me about. I don't remember what it was. Oh, well, the, the discussion that we were sort of having about the quarterback situation was about uh, Ryan Helensky. You know, and I've, I've still like, I think he had an okay game, actually. I've, I've gotten a little bit fired up about, I think there are a lot of uh, fair and accurate takes about where things are with the football program. But there's one that's sort of sticking in my crawl, mm-hmm. and it's that people are dismissing Ryan Helensky's play and saying a bunch of projecting and making a bunch of ridiculous statements like this he is what he is mm. this is as good as he'll be he's not very good will muschamp has ruined ryan helensky <laughs> that's a, my favorite a, a lot take. of stuff like that <laughs> it's just really bad you know because and you could say well will muschamp throughout his history hasn't produced this it's not fair to anyone especially ryan helensky to say it because he's played in 7 games and he has been healthy for two of them, two, two and a half. And when he has been healthy, oh my gosh, he's played extremely well. It's a miracle. I wonder why that is. So you look at the first half of the Georgia game. It's not like they were lighting up the scoreboard, but Georgia's actually, they're sort of good on defense. Yeah, it was 15 of 20, what, like 130 Made yards some and a great beautiful throws. touchdown pass to Brian. And and others. I mean, the out route to Dawkins, mm-hmm. while he got absolutely oh, yeah, he got plastered. That, yeah. Okay, that was an NFL type throw. Alabama, who's pretty good, he played very well against Alabama. Right. I mean, he he had the elbow against Missouri. He was not good in that game. We all know that. But the games he's been Charleston Southern, you throw that out, whatever. I mean, he he showed some things even against poor competition that he could do. But he's been healthy for. Two and a half, you know, call it three, whatever you want to call it, games, and he's played well. I think it's kind of interesting. I, I didn't think Silly. that he had that bad of a game on Saturday, so I, I was a little bit confused that so many fans were, like, upset at him or with him or, you know, blaming him for Carolina's performance. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't amazing, but I didn't think he had a bad game. He was 28 of 51, which he shouldn't be asked to throw the ball 51 times. South Carolina this year is now 1 in, uh, one in 4 when he throws more than 30 passes and 2 and 0 when he – throws fewer than 20 now that's not like a surefire oh just throw it fewer than 30 times and Carolina, you know it's like they're they're winning so they don't need to throw it as much but you know point is that should not be part of their game plan their game plan should not be for him to be into the 30s 40s and 50s but 28 to 51 300 and whatever yards touchdown he didn't turn the football over he added a bunch of drops in there he made some nice throws the one that really sticks to my mind he made a nice throw on a third and six i think i think carolina was maybe down 24 to 21 it might have been that next drive after they scored Carolina ends up probably going three and out, and there's a third and six. He's rolling to his right, and he hits Josh Van right in the breadbasket, and he just dropped it. Um, so, you, you know, you give him back some of those, and I think his game looks even better. But the hard part for me, pro football focus agrees with me and says that this is a pretty good game. I think it was the third best game of the season for Ryan. But when I was talking to Eric Kimry yesterday on my local show on 107.5, he was like, yeah, I actually thought Ryan had like a, a borderline not great game. Like, well, he was he was more critical of the performance than I was, and apparently than the advanced metrics were, which I tend to trust him because he's a quarterback, and I think he has a keen eye for for some of those things, and maybe even a more intimate understanding of what Carolina is trying to do or asking Ryan to do than some of like the objective metrics. But I, I haven't figured out what 
quite to make of that, but I thought he was fine. So there's a drive. Wes and I are both sitting here watching clips. There's a drive in the third quarter that perfectly sums up the game. Mm-hmm. South Carolina had. For uh, Let me see if I can do the math. Five different reasons. Okay. Number one, um, they're backed up. They're at their own 15. Is this after Shy took the kick out when he shouldn't really have? Or he just Probably. got no, – yeah. Probably, so yeah. they're at the 15, mm-hmm. number one, poor field position, yep. which is they had a lot. All right, number two, false start or delay of game penalty. Number two. Oh, yeah, to start the drive. I said that should be a 15-yard penalty. To start the drive. If you have a delay well, of Donnell, game. To- Donnell Stanley said that, which I think he was right because they ended up having an issue. There were, there was at least that time, it might have been this time, where Donnell Stanley was saying they didn't start the play clock in the stadium. So nobody oh, really? knew. Right. He was uh. sitting there making the signal. Nobody cared. All right, and then they let the crowd get all pumped up. Let me let me add in real yeah. quick that procedural penalties, false starts, and uh, delay of games, all that stuff, especially at the beginning of drives, have been absolutely killing this offense. Killing. Because they can't recover from being behind the sticks anyway, especially now that they're this sort of run-first team. Yeah, they can't first, handle being in first and 10. First and 15, that, you, you hate to say it like this, but it's almost like when they start first and 15, you're like, their chances of getting a first down – their, their chances are already at, what, like 30% as far as their yeah. third yeah. down conversions and stuff. But the, <laughs> you it's like instantly you're like, this drive is probably we need, a We need to go drive. through and, and look uh, at that. But, if that just take three deep shots and punt it if, once you get into first and 15. Yeah, so I uh, continue, Chris, but I that, that point's been on my mind all show is that, that as far as the number of things that have been hurting them offensively, that to me has been one of the top three or four things is that this offense, if you're not going to be – extremely explosive and you're going to have to be a grinded out type team then you absolutely cannot shoot yourself in the foot with what is essentially an unforced penalty that's you know sometimes you have a penalty because the guy across from you is a little bit better you might hold a guy because he's super explosive and you have to grab him to keep him from killing your quarterback uh you might have a pass interference because the guy's really fast and athletic and you you know take one false step but a false start a delay a game, those are essentially unforced. And uh, that, that's something South Carolina has had way too much of, I think. Nah, I'm with you. Uh, they can't do it. Now, so on this drive, so the, first of all, they start at the 15, poor field position. That's number one. That that was unforced. Number two, and I did go back and look, Donnell Stanley is saying that the play clock has not started. Okay. He's a six-year guy. I don't think he's making it up. It's sort of hard to believe. All right, but so it doesn't start. So they get a five-yard penalty for delay of game. It's first, now it's first and 15 from the 10. They run Nick Muse on a little five, six-yard route. He gets held, no doubt about it. He crosses the guy's face. He crosses the freshman linebacker's face. The guy holds him, pulls him down before the ball's in the air. It's a hold. Not called right in front of the referee. Nick Muse gets up. So now it's second and 15. Okay. Then you get third and 15. I'm sorry. You was second sec- 15 that little Mondinson run around no. the right nope. edge? Because second 15, drive. they throw a ball to Josh Van on a slant that he drops right in his bread basket. Would have been about third and set. Would have been about a uh, third and seven or so with a little bit better field position. And then on third and 15, Ryan Holinsky gets pressure. Somebody hits his arm incomplete pass. So it basically like summed up. It's like a microcosm. It's a microcosm. The they, bad field position. Penalty that, you know, whatever the clock started in, you know, a penalty procedural. You get a bad call that sort of affected the play. Then you get a drop. A drop. Then you get a protection issue. And then you get a protection issue. And to that last point, I, again, not excuses but explanations, I I think this team is missing Dylan Wanham like so crazy badly. right yes. now. Yes, yes. And, uh, and he's, he's doing the same thing. As his brother last season, when Will Muschamp is like, "Uh, hope to get him back next week. Hope to get him back next week," and he's never coming back. Uh, well, no, he. I mean, he said two to three weeks, um, like for five Dylan. Weeks ago. Um, but I and, and ankles. I mean, ankles are, you know, traditionally very sort of hard to I, I think project when a guy's going to be back. And if you don't have your ankle, you know, especially playing that position, you're screwed. But I, you know, they they miss him very very badly, and you know, I I think. The pass protection, even it's not just sacks to me. When you just look, most of the time that Ryan's delivering the football, um, especially if it's a true drop back, 
there's somebody in his face. And uh, even when he's made good throws, it's been with the guy in his face. And I, I think that's, you know, as good as this offensive line, and I think we got to give him credit, as good as they've been run blocking at times, and, uh, you know, most of the time pretty good run blocking. Uh, the pass protection, specifically when teams know they have to throw, um, ha- has just not been good. So you take, uh, you know, and again, you're talking – you're talking about a true freshman, uh, Jalen Nichols, being thrown into the mix. You know that, that's not to say Jalen Nichols. You know this guy could be all SEC. We don't know before he leaves, but um, you know you're throwing that that true freshman right into the, you know, into the mix. And and when when you're talking about highly detailed, um, you at least hope, you know, routes being run and timing and stuff like that, and it gets thrown off by a guy instantly being in your quarterback's face, it, it just throws the the entire thing off. So um it, it as much as you know, as much as it is at the point in the season where you, you never want to say it is what it is, but as far as the offensive production, it kinda is what it is. You know, we've seen enough. It has not been good. Um we've also seen enough of the reasons why it is what it is. Yeah. And um I, I think like Chris said, people don't want to hear, well it's a it's a lot of things. It is a lot of things, yeah. but we can also we can list what the what these things are, and you know it's not an excuse. It's just more of here's here's why the offense is not having success, and a lot of it, you know, some of it may may be play calling. Some of it certainly is that you have a, a rookie quarterback. It is certainly that he is not a hundred percent. You know, I'll say that, and um, it's certainly offensive line play and it's procedural issues, and um, it's just downright you're not executing well enough either and some of that comes back to uh, well you got to narrow down the package and and get it to a situation where these guys can execute better i'm glad you brought up the offensive line i have an interesting stat in our buy or sell this will be our second buy or sell um that actually proves that the offensive line has been remarkably consistent in one key stat this year but i'll get to that in a minute before we do our buy or sell i want to ask you this because after what was it i guess uh i guess after the georgia win I think the three of us sat in here, and I've referenced this conversation a couple times, and I think it was with y'all that I had it. Carolina fans should rightly have, and I think would have, gladly taken this season, you know, with the Georgia upset, the bad North Carolina loss, the bad Missouri loss, assuming Carolina had won the rest of the games in which they were favored. So, you know, beat Tennessee, beat Vanderbilt. Maybe beat App State, lose to Texas A&M, lose to Clemson, or maybe lose to App State, beat Texas A&M. You know, some combination there and finish six and six or whatever. And they were, they would have been okay with those Missouri and North Carolina losses as bad as they felt at the time because it was worth it to have the marquee win, the program win, the biggest upset in program history. And now, and this is my question to you, and not as a Carolina fan, but do you think the correct answer is that you would now trade in? the biggest upset in school history, the Georgia win, to have back those Tennessee, Missouri, and North Carolina, or just say Tennessee and North Carolina games, the two games you were favored that you were supposed to win. And I'll throw Missouri in there because that's what we're talking about. Nah. You don't trade that? Uh, no. No, because otherwise, if you do that, you're just doing what you've been doing, right? So people wanted to break through, and I know you're you're sort of splitting hairs by, by saying this, or I am, but people wanted, well, Muschamp has largely that's that's the knock, right? Mm-hmm. He's largely won the games he should yeah. win and lost the games he, sh- he you know that they weren't favored in. And so people wanted to see can they go upset a, a ranked team in any circumstance, road, home, neutral, whatever. <laughs> can they do it? Well, they did it. They did it on the road and they did it against not just a ranked team but a top 5 team and they it was the first time since 2013 that they had done that and uh you know, it was a it was a huge win. You know, losing to Tennessee and North Carolina, those things suck for fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no doubt about yeah. it. But, but I agree e- with you 100. Even, th- even when things were bad with Spurrier, they had a what the heck loss every year. Now, not two or three, okay, but one they had every year. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I was I was saying I agree with you 100. percent That has absolutely been my philosophy. I've said many times that. Progress in a football program is not linear. You need those moments where, like I've said a couple times, I don't know why I've been using this phrase a lot lately, but where you really bump your head up against that ceiling and and see what is actually possible. And beating Georgia is what Carolina fans have been looking for. But the only reason that I frame it like this now is because I think those three losses 
especially when you factor in the performances and how luck- lackluster they were, how lost they looked, Carolina's inability to make adjustments to close out games. I think that is now significantly more negative than the positive of the Georgia win. I feel like it is now unbalanced. I feel like previously, until this Tennessee game, and even if Carolina, if Carolina had lost this game 24-21, to 21, I still think you would take the Georgia win. But given how embarrassing this loss is, how embarrassing Missouri was, and how embarrassing, frankly, North Carolina was, even though that was a four-point loss, it's a 16-point swing in terms of the spread, I, I think now that those negatives are outweighing the positives. And when I say that progress in a football program is not linear, I'm not just talking about upward progress. Carolina is now making significant downward progress considering where this program should have been this year and where it felt like they were after the Georgia game. Well, let's say, but, you know, I, I do think I can see your point there. What if your answer changes again? It could, right? Yeah. So, so let's say, let's say they, and I, to be clear, I have no idea. Some people listening may be like, there are, win another game, Chris. I don't know. Maybe. It's hard to tell week to week what the heck you're going to get with this team. I wouldn't touch minus 16 this weekend, I'll tell you that much. Right. So, I mean, but but let's say, just for the hypothetical discussion, let's but wouldn't say, it be just like this team to beat? Vanny by twenty four and dominate. Yeah. Oh, 30, the game. 30 points. Yeah, like yeah. last year's game. I don't know if I don't know if zero and five or five and zero in the next five games would be more surprising to me. Yeah, I mean <laughs> you don't know. I mean, so what I'm saying is, if they okay, let's take where things are right now, and let's say they beat Vanderbilt, they beat App State, who's a good football team. They go beat Texas A and M. Texas A and M. They only have four games left. I don't know why I keep saying five. Sorry. I'm, yeah. So four. Whatever. So let's say they win those three, and then let's say they're competitive with Clemson at home right so then that then they've got six wins and they've won three of the last four and people are still upset that they didn't beat Clemson but Clemson's really good so I mean th- then you may say okay we you know keep the Georgia win and yeah the rest of it but I have you know. no reason to believe that Carolina is going to win three of these next four games I have no Based reason on... to believe I had no reason to believe they beat Georgia yeah I had no reason I, to believe I, they'd lose to Tennessee by 20 right so we don't know yeah it's dumb um Wes you want to weigh in do you think it's right to trade in the Georgia win to have Tennessee, Missouri, and North Carolina in the W column? Pro- probably not. I mean, your overall record obviously looks a lot better right now, but, um, you know, I think you'd probably have some of the same arguments uh, against Will Muschamp that you had coming into this year. Um, now the argument against Will Muschamp is just a, a different type of argument, I, I think. So I, I don't know. I, I think the Georgia win was – it's still special. Nothing that's happened after that changes that, but um, it, it is, I guess, diluted a bit the by the fact that they haven't really been able to build off of it. And yeah. um, you know, and, and again, it's I mean, every, everything right now, you know, and I guess that's college sports, but every, everything right now is very reactionary. You know, it's like um, after you get a big win over Georgia, then all of a sudden, every you know, everything in Columbia is fine, and then. Right now, after a big loss to Tennessee, everybody's ready to burn the thing down and start over. So it's um, that's college athletics. I don't know. I, I still think you probably take the Georgia win, but um, I'm glad you said it like that, though, because I think that's that's important, and that's what I've been trying to say, but haven't thought to say as intelligently. It changes the argument. If you trade those in, and you take away the Georgia win, and give it to Tennessee and North Carolina, Missouri then you still have those questions about Will Muschamp, sure. The argument hasn't really changed. But that's a question about Will Muschamp's ceiling. Now what you're dealing with is you still have questions about Will Muschamp's ceiling. He's answered the call one time against Georgia, so maybe you feel a little bit better about what the answer to that question is. But now you have even more questions about Will Muschamp's floor. And I think that's the difference. And maybe why it's worth trading in those wins in this weird hypothetical world where you can do such a thing. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think I think this is the point you're making as well, is that coming into the year as well for the most part Muschamp's going to beat the teams he's supposed to and for the most part he's going to lose the teams he's supposed to lose to and then now we're seeing a season where that's just it's not been the case Mm -hmm. Uh, it's been up and down and nobody really knows what to expect and you know and I I think we're also sort of uh in, in every media every fan is probably guilty of this as well it's easy to get sort of caught into you know just what the team you follow so closely is doing and um you know how how many how many other programs in the country right now probably have the same conversation right now about – I mean, it, it's hard to be consistent in this game, in college football, if you're not one of the – what? Habs. Like, yeah, if you're not one of the, the five, six, whatever teams yeah. 
And even for them, I mean, Oklahoma loses to Kansas State this week. So awesome. it's a really fun game to watch, yeah. and that, that's why we love college sports. I think it sports, wasn't even close either. I mean, I know the score was close, but it was 48-23 like late in the fourth quarter, and Oklahoma did their darndest to come back. And Anyway, yeah. that's not here nor there. Yeah, just my point being, and I don't, I don't really – I don't know if I have a point. It's more of a question, but how you know how many other teams in the country are having this same conversation of you know we beat this team, but we lost to this team. How do we how did we lose that game? We should have beat them. When really it's that, like I was getting to earlier, I think is that South Carolina, Tennessee. Maybe there's not that big a difference between these two teams, and it's about what happens on that given day. Maybe there's not that big a difference between South Carolina and Kentucky. Maybe there's really not that big a difference between South Carolina and Vandy. And all these teams have, you know, similar level athletes, and it's going to be about who makes some plays on that given day, who's more fired up on that given day, who maybe has a little bit better game plan on that given day. And, you know, if you're South Carolina, it's okay. Are you – you know, do you, do you feel comfortable with this coaching staff and them being able to continue to build, or is it that you, you know, you want to sort of make that? You know, every program has a different approach. It's do you sort of just keep searching until you hopefully hit on that elite guy that can maybe, you know, you talk about, you know, what did you say, the glass ceiling? Um, sure. Do you keep sort of switching out until you hope to hit on that one elite guy that can? push your program out of the current status that it's in. Or are you fine with six to eight wins? Or you, yeah, or, and and sticking with it and thinking that if you have a foundation, eventually you can sort of, you know, have a six to eight win year most years and then um, in your best sort of, uh, what's the best way? Your best cycle where it happens to cycle that you have some elite players combined with some veterans in that particular year. You know, every every Kind of the Mark D'Antonio model. Yeah, then you uh, you know you you go that Michigan direction. State will win so, seven games and then they'll win eleven and then they'll win six. I, and I think another another example that I think of a lot is uh, like Gary Patterson's one, mm-hmm. but also Kyle Whittingham at Utah, like he's a guy, right? And so, um, Kirk Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz. I mean, who has like an eighty year contract? Man, we have got to hire his agent for this podcast. Seriously, but fifty three. <laughs> What's that? I'm answering Wes's question. Oh, 53. So Kyle Whittingham, right? Programs. He yeah. took over the program in 2005. He was seven and five, eight and five, nine and four. Like these are good numbers, mm-hmm. right? Okay, it's not six wins or whatever. Then he went 13 and 0, won the Sugar Bowl. 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 8 and 5. Then oh, he's five and seven back to back years. Panic time. Fire him. Right, but then he goes nine and four, 10 and 3, 9 and 4. I mean, this is at Utah. And, like, I don't know, man. Like, South Carolina, they don't have, you know, it's not controversial to say this. They haven't won. They have an, they have an ACC title in 1969. So, East they're not going to become a have overnight. No. Like, the way that they're going to have to do it, and I think this is why so many people were frustrated about the end of the Spurrier era is because they tasted it. Mm-hmm. They sort of treaded water, tread water, tread water, lightning in a bottle. And then that was the time where they had to capitalize on it. They had to go make it to Atlanta one more time, or they had to win a game in Atlanta to become the SEC's champion and then go build on that. And not only did they not make it back to Atlanta, you know, they didn't win the one time they were there because they ran into cyborg Cam Newton. And then they didn't build on the success that they had by being able to sustain it. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't even sort of fly, they just completely flatlined. Right, and so then you're then you're almost starting from scratch in a way. It's kind of a Greek tragedy. So, all I'm saying, I'm not saying fans should be okay with being average, or or saying that they they shouldn't expect to be great as a program. Like that's that's what you want to be. But I do think you have to recognize this isn't rebuilding um, Georgia. It's not when Nick Saban took over at Alabama. You know, and people say, well, Dabo did it at Clemson, but Clemson even had. Prolonged stretches of some stretches. They have a national title in their past. They have they've always had money and resources, and they poured some in. Um, they had some conference titles. You know, um, even when South Carolina was beating them, they they were building and and they had they had sustain they had consistency also. Now I'm not saying that to advocate one way or another. Nah, I think we're just making we're just making points about 
you know, do, what do you do? Yeah. You know, do you do you start over like well, Wes was saying? You, or? you strive for greatness. You hope for the best. And then you also understand that for most people listening to this, and I put myself in this category, maybe if you're five and you're listening to this, you have an outside chance, but Carolina's never going to be like a national powerhouse. That's just the reality. Most football programs aren't going to be national powerhouses. That's kind of how it is. So, um, you know, enjoy the struggle. It's a Sisyphean task being a South Carolina fan. And, I mean, frankly, most programs, like Wes was talking about, 53 others that are exactly like Carolina right now. By my unofficial estimate. By yourself. Unofficial. Bishop team. Terry Bishop. He's great sponsor. Great sponsor. Great realtor. Former Gamecock quarterback. Man, he's the man. So buy or sell or invest in real estate. You got to call Terry Bishop, his wife Becky of Bishop Real Estate Group. Facebook.com slash the Terry Bishop team or 803-665-1442. We appreciate his support of our football content and this podcast this season at Gamecock Central. We are moving on from the Tennessee game. This mediocre football program is now hosting a bad football program in Vanderbilt. They're a 16-point favorite. Here's some buy-or-sells about what's going to happen in this game. To recap last week, Wes, you wrote this stuff down. I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, run more. Which team will run more plays? What was it? South Carolina will run more plays. Yeah, they, it was like 81 to 68. Um, 83 to 68. Something. Chris sold, I bought, you bought. So we win. Chris loses. Um. Two South Carolina players with 50 yards receiving. Chris bought, I bought, you sold. So y'all win and I lose. So you're 2-0. and Chris and I are 1-1. One and one. and uh, over 13 penalties. Chris sold, I bought, and so you sold. Chris is 1-2, and two, you're 3-0, and oh, and I was 2-1. and one. And you, you were 3-0 and oh, buying all these things. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, so here's what we got this week. Carolina, the University of South Carolina fighting Gamecock football team will have the receiver that has the most yards in Saturday's game against Vanderbilt. Um, I will buy that. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know one of the complaints from the Vanderbilt side this year is they have almost bewilderingly... Man, I, I nice. that. Yeah, I'm uh, leaving that in. <laughs> what was the other one I did the other day? So they, they have not gotten the ball to Kalijah Lipscomb or... Or Jared Pinkney, they're really good tight end. Mm. Lips can be in their receiver. They haven't done that. Um, some of it's been quarterback issues, but it's just like it's been the Keyshawn Vaughn show, and that's yeah. it. But what better back. team to get your receivers going than South Carolina right now? Well, there's an argument to be made there, <laughs> unless unless you're Georgia, I guess. Yeah. Well, they, they had some success, too. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. So that, that does make it a good buy or sell, but I will Thanks. still say that South Carolina, yes. So you're have, buying that yes. South Carolina will have the top receiver in yardage, Saturday's game, but it will be close. Wes, what do you think? <laughs> As always, um, <laughs> you know that is a pretty good one, man. I, Thanks. I I, I lean. Myself. <laughs> I lean to. You know what? I'm I'm selling. I, yeah. I was I was gonna I was gonna go towards the buying into this until I saw that surprisingly, Vanderbilt actually has not been too bad as far as protecting their quarterback this year, mm. which um, to me is the key in South Carolina's secondary is when they when the front gets pressure, right. the secondary isn't really necessarily exposed when the front does not get pressure as it was against Tennessee, which some of that was that they max protected so much. Um, then receivers are able to get open. So um, Why was Jake Fromm bad? 17 pressures. Why was Tennessee's quarterbacking room excellent? It's like or something so yeah along those lines also apparently Vanderbilt is a cover a heavy cover zero team defensively which means uh you're blitzing six guys trying to uh bring a lot of extra pressure South Carolina has not dealt well with pressure now that could lead to some big plays for Carolina's passing game down the field but percentage wise I uh probably would give the slight edge to, to uh Vanderbilt and that uh, they'll probably be able to get the ball to Limpscomb a little bit more this week than they possibly have in the past. Uh, eight games into the season, you want to guess how many times South Carolina's had the top receiver in the game? I'm sure you're going to tell us. Of course. Why would I ask you and not answer it? I will guess I'm not two. a terrorist. That's exactly right. Missouri. Charleston Southern. Uh, oh, yeah, I didn't include that. So seven games. You never include that. Char- <laughs> yeah, Why? It's not an it was not a game. real game. Do you want to count the spring game stats? <laughs> uh, that was a more taxing nah. game for those players than the Charleston Southern game. All right, so he, that game so did not happen. In his, so it's actually in his three. mind, huh? Two, two of your real games and three in reality. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Missouri and Kentucky 
Do you know who the top receiver was in the Kentucky game? Uh, Rico Dowdle. It was Brian Edwards. You know how many yards he oh, had? Dang. 37. That was Ooh. the top receiver of that Carolina-Kentucky game. I really pray for any of the poor bastards that accidentally watched that game without a real rooting interest. Um, <laughs> all right, so, Wes, you are – you said you're selling? Mm-hmm. And Chris Lee is buying. And I just gave the stats and said I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm going to buy. Second buy or sell. This is the amazingly consistent stat from South Carolina's offensive line. Buy or sell. Carolina will give up fewer than three sacks on Saturday. Uh, so the stat being that they typically don't give up three sacks in a game? The stat being, I'll just give it to you on the front. Okay. Here are sacks allowed by South Carolina this year in order of games. Okay. Three, zero, three, four, three. Zero, three, three. <laughs> I d- give up three I didn't sacks count every the games. Game. You didn't count Charleston Southern again? No, Charleston Southern was zero. I, I did include that one in there. And Georgia was zero, even though Ryan Holinsky probably got hit more in that Georgia game than any other game this season. None of them were sacks. Did a great job right. of getting the football out. Yeah, that, That's five games they've given up three sacks this year. So it's either been three or zero. Or four against uh, Mizzou. Oh, yeah, Mizzou was four. Yeah. Okay, so three or less against Vandy. Because Wes didn't give me my briefing before, I don't know how many sacks Vandy has. Um, I will say. Do you want to? You want the answer before you say? Sure, give me that. <laughs> Vandy three has. Game, I bet Vandy has three sacks. Vandy <laughs> has eleven sacks the entire <laughs> season. Okay, so I, I mean I don't. Yeah, but they I haven't should, faced Jalen Nichols yet. Maybe I should have changed my uh, my answer on the <laughs> other thing as well. I I thought with them being some cover zero blitz team, surely they. Have gotten to the quarterback at some point this year. They've they've got eleven sacks for a total of seventy seven sack yards this year. Okay, um, I'll go. Uh, so it's three. It, Vandy will get three or less as the buy. Or three yeah, Carolina or will more. give up fewer than three sacks. Oh, fewer than three, Carolina. Uh, I'll buy. Okay, Wes. Oh man, that is a tough one. It is. I will buy as well. All right. um, It'll be close yeah. <laughs> for sure. I mean, definitely, right? It's gonna, it's gonna be it's exactly gonna be close. three. It's, it's gonna, gonna be, be two or three. Uh, or no, four. I'll, I'll Man, buy, but I, but I will say this: I, I think, I think Olinsky gets hit a lot again. Mm-hmm. But oh. it, he does a good job most of the time, um, unless he's just completely, unless it's a blindside deal where he just doesn't see the rush. He actually does a pretty good job of just getting the ball away. Mm-hmm. Um, which has led to less sack numbers, um, probably comparatively to pressures uh, than it could have been otherwise. So, yeah, I'll I'll buy that it's three or less, but cool. I do think there'll be a lot of pressure on them. Yeah, I'll buy it too, and I'm going to feel like an idiot when Vanderbilt has three sacks like everybody else this year. Last one. Sorry, what? Well, I thought if you buy. I'm buying that Carolina will give up fewer three. than three sacks. Oh, I thought y'all said three or less. That's what you said. Yeah, fewer than three. That's three. Three or less. It's not oh, fewer. Okay. That's not fewer. All right. All right. Yeah. Three or less. Three or fewer. Yeah. Are you, are you still buying? Yeah. Okay. But I, but if but if they oh, gave up three. Oh, I see. You, I see. Yeah, if they get three. You would still be right. Okay. All right. Fine. Yeah, yeah. All right. We'll do it like that. That's fine. The less than or equal to with the line under it. Last one. Carolina will finally score 30 points. I'll I'll buy. I'll go ahead and buy. That. All right. Oh, Wes is going. Wes has bought like nine straight. <laughs> hey, it's worked. And it's worked. I'm six and zero oh in the yeah. last six. So. These are fun to talk about, but they're, they're just they're, copy Wes's paper. Then yeah, really. Um, All right, you're buying, but it'll be close. I'm gonna. Well, it will it will be close because I don't think they're going to score like fifty or anything, no. right? And I don't think they're going to score like ten. I don't think. Um, it's a little bit going against my gut, but I'll I'll buy it. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to sell just for the sake of consistency that's our buy or sell thanks so much to the bishop team how excited are y'all for ncaa 2021 dude if if that happens which it seems like this is the first step to that possibly happening that will be one of the best days of my life we'll do a live podcast where we play each other in it have a tournament cool so we're all excited that'll be good that's very good uh wesley yeah how did the schlotsky's challenge go did anybody get within 15 points of the final score no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, cool. 
but Cocky Brew um, by Tennessee predicted a Tennessee win 30 to 27. Okay. Good job. And Good there job. was only like maybe three predictions for Tennessee to win probably. as there should have been this so, is not uh, good <laughs> um yeah cocky brew congrats uh Slosky's deli you uh I will be sending you a gift card not the tray as Pearson says for seventy dollars worth of Slosky's <laughs> deli uh a tailgating package which uh you know will get you some some sandwiches and some chocolate chip cookies and some chips and uh some plastic dinnerware and uh, pretty much everything you need for That's a important. tailgate. Because um, there's nothing worse than just getting like all this yeah. tailgating stuff, and you're like, oh, well, I'm just gonna eat it with my hands now and spill it on the couch and on the carpet. Gotta it's spread like, the mayonnaise out with the pack. Which oh is yeah, dirty. the worst. Yeah. yeah, this yeah. is this is everything. Complete you need. set. Yeah, complete tailgating. Yeah. A gift card for a complete seventy dollar value tailgating package from Slotsky's Deli, and and on top of that, I have made Pearson and Chris's. Not day, not week, but probably month because they've been hooked up with some Slotskis today. Maybe well. the rest of the year, honestly. It made my life. Yeah. True. <laughs> made his life. Oh, man. Thank you so much to Slotskis for sponsoring that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, be uh, be bold with your picks because Carolina, as we've really hit on here, has been nothing but inconsistent this year. So just make your make your picks weird. Predict that Carolina is going to win 63-5 to or that the opposite is going to happen this weekend. And you can do that in two different places. You can do it on the Insiders Forum if you are a Gamecock Central Insider. But if you're not, you can do it on the Fighting Gamecocks Forum. But also if you're not and you're a noob and you should be an insider. And a great way to just try it out, see if you like it, is you can use the exclusive podcast code GCPOD and you can get uh, subscriber access for a month for free. No better time to do it. South Carolina's got an exhibition for men's basketball tonight. Mm -hmm. Uh, Season starts a week from today. So great time. Obviously, football season's still going on. Men's and women's basketball getting going. So be a subscriber to Gamecock Central. Recruiting always, yeah. I mean, as soon as Carolina gets more of those, y'all will have more of your commit casts back, so that's always fun. And, um, yeah, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast because we got a lot of things going right now. We're having a lot of fun. Hope you're all enjoying it, and we need your feedback because that, uh, that helps us do our jobs better. So thank you all so much for listening. I'll be back on Friday. Wes and Chris and I will talk to you again next Wednesday. Enjoy the weekend, and you'll have a good week.